Excited to interview Cheryl Taylor of Taylor Leadership Coaching and Consulting. Cheryl was CEO and president of Folinger Foundation in Fort Wayne, Indiana for 20 years. And in that role, she worked with a number of nonprofits in capacity building and leadership development training. And then of course, worked with a number of boards. And that's our topic today. We talked to her about two sides of the coin. Hey, I wanna join a board. And I'm looking at what questions should I ask? And the flip side is I'm a board. I'm looking for board members. So please, I hope you enjoy this episode of the I-501CU podcast with Cheryl Taylor. Hey, Michael here, jumping in before you listen to the podcast. Did you know we send out a weekly email providing you information related to the podcast and additional information? If you'd like to subscribe to that, please go to our website, thecorleycompany.com. Well, joining us today on the 501CU podcast, or I should clarify that because I do get yelled at by, by Reed, it's the I-501CU podcast for nonprofit board members is Cheryl Taylor. Cheryl, longtime CEO, Folinger Foundation, and now you're an executive coach. Cheryl, could you tell the audience a little bit about yourself and your background and what brings us here today? You know, I've been blessed uh, through a long and really marvelous career. I worked for two different nonprofit organizations in very different um, experiences. I One was a professional uh, women's service organization. The other was a, a disaster services organization. I worked for two different governmental entities, um, uh, once as the, the mayor's public information officer and uh, once with a convention center. And then I spent decades with uh, a private foundation um, in 21 years of that uh, as its president and CEO. So it's given me an opportunity to understand, at least to a certain level, the extraordinary commitment of volunteers in a community, which I'm gonna extrapolate is obviously the case in all communities. And it's given me an opportunity to, to look at that from a variety of perspectives. What's fun now as an executive coach, I'm working with both foundation execs and public charity execs, also with some board chairs, with a variety of boards, focusing on how, how do we best move those organizations forward. And that is just um, probably the the end game blessing, if you will. It's an opportunity to take a lot of those earlier experiences and try to use them to somehow be helpful to somebody else. Well, I tell you what, you certainly are, are benefiting a number of people by doing that. And it's interesting. You and I got introduced by Deborah Jacobs. Deborah's a mutual friend, a colleague, and you and I spoke about a little over a month ago and really hit it off when we were talking about the effectiveness of and how do you create a high performing board. And I said, Cheryl, we got to get you on a podcast because you looked at it from two perspectives, right? The perspective of the board and the perspective of somebody wanting to join a board. Can you talk a little bit high level about a, your experience with high performing boards? And then we'll we'll peel back the onion and get in a little bit more detail. It's really interesting. And, and high performing doesn't, first of all, I want to say high performing does not necessarily mean big. Right, some of the best high-performing boards are are small boards. The the revenue is is much smaller. The number of board members is smaller. The service area, whatever it is, it could be any or all of those things. So to me, it's about the culture of the organization rather than any of those other sort of extraneous characteristics. It's really about is this an organization that wants to 
work at the very best level, wants to make sure it has the correct board members, the correct staff members, and wants to make sure that it ultimately does what it's in business to do, which is to meet its mission and to do that with purpose. And if a board wants to be the very best, and you just touched on this, it's the all about the board members. How does a board go about identifying future board members? Well, I think they have a lot of different tools uh, to do that. One of the places to, to start is, you know, looking right next to you, okay? So there are people who could be on committees. There are people who are the day-to-day -day volunteers. There are people who are potential donors. There are active donors. So all of these folks are people who have in one way, shape, or form have already demonstrated a commitment how they demonstrated it is different and their understanding of it may be different, but they've already demonstrated a commitment to the mission. So, you know, lean in and find out more about that. Um, are they just on a committee list or do they actively show up? Do they engage? Can you talk to the committee chairs and get some feedback from them? Because they're really sort of your on the spot reviewers, aren't they? Um, are the staff working with any volunteers that they think might be good board members or who at least have displayed some interest in serving on the board. Same thing, look at the donors, um, ask your family, ask your friends, ask your neighbors, look around at other boards on which you serve, talk to your friends who serve on other boards that that uh, your understanding and your sense is that they're highly successful and ask them both who are their best board members and why and or what characteristics do those board members display. And, and if you're searching for these potential board members. And now the time comes where you're actually speaking with them. How do you present the opportunity to one and invite them onto the board? Oh, I think it has to be presented with both passion and with reason. So explain your own passion for the mission. How does it advance a key issue? How does it support? Um, the intentions of the community in what, by the way, in whatever way the organization then defines community, right? Your community could be your community of animal lovers. It could be your community of, of wetlands. It could be the entire Sarasota County, right? I mean, it could be the state of Florida. It could be whatever your community is. So that's sort of the passion part of it. But then explain your reasons, right? What's the rationale for which you believe this organization meets its community goal? and why it needs board members who would both share the passion, but be able to explain the reasons. Hmm. And, and as you're speaking and talking to these candidates, is there a, a best practices in, in vetting them and to making sure that they're gonna come on and be a contributor? I think there is a best practice that should be considered to just look at the whole issue of finding, supporting, keeping, maintaining board members. So is there a governance or a board development or a nominating committee? Does the executive committee do this work? Organizations use different names, they have different processes, but the successful ones have a process and they've got it identified. And a committee description, again, for whatever you call this group, outlines the entirety of its work. I really wanna emphasize that, the entirety of its work. So for example, the committee's role is beyond just identifying people. It might include responsibility for board orientation or ongoing board education work, annual review of a conflict of interest statement, 
making sure there is a conflict of interest statement, making sure people sign it, board member position descriptions. Every organization should have board member position descriptions. This committee description should identify big picture, not in the minutia, but big picture. What's the timeline by which board member identification and recruitment occurs? When do we have to have all of this figured out so these people are in place in order to step in and help the organization? So after the job description, then the committee might get into a really specific timeline, right? Recommend, how does recruitment occur? Let them wrestle with, is the recruitment come from originally from individual board members? Does it, is there a second meeting with a larger contingent? Is it an individual who meets with them? Is it a member of this committee and the individual? Is it a member of the executive committee and the individual? Is the CE involved, oh, involved or not? You know, I would argue yes, because a prospect is always going to ask a question that we as individual board members either don't know the answer to or we don't know the detail of the answer, nor should we in many cases, by the way. So, and then a big question is, who does have the authority to offer the board seat? Where does the authority sit, right? So I wonder if, because this is the crucial nature of the board, shouldn't the board the whole have the authority to do that? Or are they delegating it to this committee? Do they delegate it to the executive committee? Do they delegate it to somebody? I, I, it doesn't really matter to me how they do it. What I think matters is that the board as a whole has approved the mechanism for how all of this stuff happens. There's a whole lot of thinking that needs to happen way before anybody is is either interviewed or offered the opportunity to do this. Listening to you speak, it's a very if you do it right, it's a very strategic and an intentional process, and it's not haphazard. And the only way to build an effective board is to to go through exactly what Cheryl just talked about, all those steps and machinations, and identified who's responsible for what. Cheryl, I've got a, I got a question for you, and you touched on this. I've seen. I've been on boards like you have, and I've and I've worked with a number of boards. Some of them, the CEO, strong CEO, and he or she will drive and be and identify board members. Others, it's a process like you just explained. Is there a right or wrong way? Is it the CEO's responsibility to identify future board members, or is it the board itself? I think it belongs to everybody. It's a it's a partnership. Right. So um, Board Source, which is a national organization that, that we are all, I'm sure, very familiar with, for decades has had a basic document titled the 10 Basic Responsibilities of Board Members. Right. One of them used to be number eight, but they might have rearranged them. I don't know, is build a competent board. So it's clearly in the purview of the board to do that. CEO, however, probably has more insight into, again, people already engaged with the organization, who might be other prospective donors. They probably also have some insight from their own peers, who was a really good board member for them, maybe somebody who termed off organization X, but who has skills that would now be applicable for our organization. So I think this is a partnership in, in many ways, as the whole partnership between the board and the CEO is. Maybe the, maybe the place where this partnership um, uh, occurs most often is that very clearly clear relationship between the CEO and the board chair. Again, how that mechanism occurs is, to me, has to be defined by the individual organization, but they need to define it. But if everybody's got, got skin in the game on this. Yeah, I like the very last thing you said, everybody's got skin in the game. And it's even, it's the entire board's opportunity and responsibility to ensure the strength, strength of the board and the composition of it. 
and that's one of the beautiful things about a nonprofit board. We've all got different circles. And so boy, to be able to amplify 15 people's circles, if you will, versus just one or two with a sole responsibility, it really provides just a, a tremendous avenue to engage and be involved with other people. Absolutely. So let me ask you this. So let's, let's turn the table. Okay, now it's somebody who wants to be on a board. Somebody in the community, they want to be on a board and or they're being recruited. What, what, how should they approach becoming a board member? How, how should they look at it? How do they identify when you, when you counsel people and somebody says, yeah, I think I want to be on a nonprofit board. What do you share with them? Well, first I ask them to, to think about spending some time in introspection, right? Why do you want to serve in a nonprofit? Increase your leadership skills to make connections to advance your particular issue because your friend or your neighbor or your brother-in-law ask you to do it. None of these, by the way, are, are right or wrong. And it doesn't have to be all of them. It doesn't even have to be any of them. There could be another 20 that I haven't even identified. But knowing the why of your interest, to me, is the first step. As I mentioned to you uh, earlier, I'm a fan of writing things down. That that helps me understand my rationale. Other people are artistic. Some people create spreadsheets. Some people meditate. It really doesn't matter how we work out our why. Maybe we do that with conversations with trusted associates. But whatever the mechanism is, I think this is our first step. We need to figure that out. Second, whether you do or don't, which I may come back to, have experience on a nonprofit board, do some research. So earlier I mentioned BoardSource. Start with BoardSource. It is a national repository of information on, on how to serve on nonprofit boards. So familiarize yourself with this list of 10 things, the 10 basic responsibilities. I think there's even a workbook now that accompanies that information. Understand what these responsibilities are. Consider if you're in a position to meet them or... If you're not, what might I learn in the process of serving on a board, which will help me meet them, which then makes me more valuable in future board service? If there's a local resource for information on board service, a lot of communities have a nonprofit resource center. Almost all of our public library systems have some element that can provide this kind of information. Spend some time there. Maybe some of us would like some help, you know, a librarian, a research librarian who could help us find this sort of information. I, this, this is what these people live for, right? To help us find information to, to be better educated. I said earlier, even if you do have an experience as a nonprofit board member, remember every board is different. Their purpose is different, how they work is different, how they gather, how they engage. So staying grounded in basically what needs to happen is a good refresher even for people who have served on a lot of boards. And when somebody is exploring, or maybe they're at lunch with the board chair and the CEO and they're being courted, are there specific questions you would encourage them to ask? Oh yeah, this is my long list. So number one, why me? Oh, and, love it. And a generic response that, you know, we're trying to expand our board to diversify is not good enough because it doesn't explain why they want you, you specifically, right? You, Michael Corley, you, Cheryl Taylor. Second, what skills do you think I bring? Oh, and very why? good. So you want the recruiter to tell you that. One, it gives you a sense of how you are being projected. You're a lawyer, you're an accountant, you're a strategist. 
And you can decide if that aligns with your own sense of self. Alternatively, if it doesn't immediately, it may give you an idea of what others believe you are capable of and expand your own sense of your skills, give you a broader sense of your own skills. How other people see us sometimes is not necessarily the way we see ourselves. So again, the why here is very important. Do they need an accountant because they're concerned about finances? Do they feel other board members don't understand finances and they want that to only be located in one person? That could be challenging. Do they need a lawyer because they've always had one and that person is rotating off? Do they need a lawyer because they have pending litigation? Do they even need a lawyer? What is the expected time commitment? Dig in here. Be clear on whether is this a meeting one time a month? Is it every other month? What is the, ex the expansiveness or the depth of the board agenda? How much prep time do I need? Am I expected to serve on a committee? More than one? How often do they meet? How are these committee assignments determined? How much prep time will be required for those? And then related to this is what's the financial commitment? So as a board member, you're expected to financially support the organization. And recently, Michael, in one of your podcasts, you addressed this very issue. Now, I think it's very important for every board member to financially support the organization. The question for each of us individually is at what level and what makes sense for us individually. You know, I can say that uh, working in the philanthropy sector in, in the past, it was important to know that every board member supported the organization it was none of our business at what level and what amount. All we need, you know, it could be $50, be 5,000. If one board member can do 50 and the other can do, so be it. The question is, does every board member support the organization financially? Also, am I expected to attend events? Approximately how many are there every year? Am I expected to introduce people to the organization and encourage their financial contributions? And because I seem to be the process person today, and what is the organization's mechanism to do this? Is there a development committee? Is there staff to support this? Is it only the CEO? Am I supposed to make an introduction and turn somebody over to somebody? To whom am I doing that? In, in, in what space? Other questions, are there succession plans, both for the CEO and for the board? If there are, are they interim or are they ongoing? And what, what circumstances make the succession plans kick in? Somebody quits this afternoon, maybe, or we know the, the person is going to retire in a year and a half, and, it, and how do they kick in? If those plans don't exist, then what are the organization's informal mechanisms for keeping everything running appropriately? And what would my role as a new board member be in this, if anything? How does the organization define success? It's one of my favorite questions. Oh, I like that. You know, I don't know. Are the people or the entities that we indicate we are advocating for serving, encouraging, helping, actually being served, encouraged, helped? And what does that mean? And whose definition are we using to figure that out? And is that a definition that resonates with me? And can I accept that? 
So when somebody in the community comes up to me and says, you're on the XYZ board, are they really doing whatever? You know, I can say, again, not mired in the details, yes, because. Here's how I know that. And then I think, um, well, two, actually two more, I think. You know, what is the board culture and how does it impact the board work? Because we know culture makes and breaks everything, right? Is this one where questions are allowed? Are we respectful? Do we engage everyone? Do we, def do we defer the person who's been there the longest? Does the board care about data and evaluation? What does the board care about? And how do they meet? Do they meet in between board meetings, by the way? You know, BoardSource does this interesting report every other year called Leading with Intent, I believe. And um, I, I think they will be doing it again this year because I think the last one was in 2021. And there's some very clear data in there about the boards that engage off times, not necessarily at a board meeting, uh, seem to work better together. What's fascinating to me also is that the data shows how many times, right? It, it, it has to be, I don't remember the numbers, but it has to be just this many. But if it's more than so many, it sort of has the reverse effect, which makes a lot of sense if you think about it. Sure, yeah. And then I think I would ask the person recruiting me, why are you on the board? And unless they're terming off, why do you stay on the board? Mm. Well, Cheryl, that is a tremendous list of due diligence questions. I, I, I love it. I, that would give anybody great insight into the organization they're entertaining, joining. I want to go back to one of the questions you asked because I got into, I wouldn't say it was a, maybe I, I could say it was a debate with a board member about whether or not he should be, he should contribute financially to the organization because the response was, and you've heard this a million times, well, I volunteer my time. Can you talk a little bit about why it's important to donate something, why every board member ought to contribute something, whatever that amount is? Because it is a public way, public not in the sense of identifying the individual, because once again, we're talking about the board as a whole, right? Because that's when it only acts as a board, when it, acts, it, it, you know, it, it is a committee of the whole. It is a public way to state to anybody and everybody that these 15, 20, 35, 50 people on our board collectively support this organization because publicly everybody isn't going to know that I volunteer to, to walk the dogs or that I volunteer to set up the, the, the race or the golf outing. Only the people who see me in that very limited capacity are going to know that. This is the way, again, nobody wants to be identified individually, but as a group of the whole to say, everybody on the board financially supports this organization. That's a big signal to the entire rest of the community about the support. And it's a big signal to the funders in the, in the community. And that's one question a lot of grant applications will ask is, does every board member contribute financially? And that's personal contribution, right, Cheryl? Not through their business, which may be right. one avenue, but it should be a personal contribution. Absolutely a personal contribution. You know, it's interesting you bring this up. I, I don't see this a lot, but some of the, uh, we started this dialogue with a conversation about some of the best run organizations. And some of those I've seen in the past have essentially a grid for their board members. 
right? Maybe it's probably just a simple Excel spreadsheet, who knows? But they keep it, you know, did this person attend the board meeting? Did they attend the committee meeting? Did they attend the conference? Did they attend the fundraisers, the award ceremony? Have they made a financial contribution? Now, these organizations, again, do all this differently. Some of them put all that data into the spreadsheet, share it with the board as a whole, where they could, you know, see me by name. I did or did not do these things. Sometimes they get a collective version of that report. You know, nine of our 10 board members have done these, these things or something. You know, the, the goal here is not to throw, throw people under the bus, but it's another way to keep the board accountable. Um, and I think, you know, we, we, are, we are all peers. Some of us can give more money. Some of us can give more volunteer time. Some of us are providing more of our professional uh, expertise as time. I mean, but but we're all doing a little bit of everything. Yeah, that's that's well stated because it, board members come from all different backgrounds, have all different lives, and they'll have all different strengths and opportunities. And and it's a nice compliment when you've got some that are financially strong, big donors, others that they give of their expertise and their time. Those that are volunteers are really, if you put together and assemble a board like this that complements each other, you've really got an opportunity for having something very special and very strong. Well, absolutely. And people can be in different places and those things in different times of their lives, right? If you're 22 and this is your first job and you've got college debt, or if you're 30 and you have, you know, a family and children, children to, to raise and, and college debt and mortgage, et cetera, you know, what you can give to a nonprofit may be, may or may not, but may be very different than what you can do at 60 when your children are are educated and out of the home in a different place. And so this stuff is all shifting sand, you know, but what we can do at one point in our lives may be very different than what we could do at another point in our lives. And we just need to be open to that. Well stated because we I've spoken to a number of young people that have said, well, I don't have enough money to join a board. And I'm like, oh my goodness gracious, you know, but you've got insight, you've got expertise, you've got other things you can offer. And so please don't let that dissuade you or somebody who's not as financially strong. Same thing. I've heard that a number of times, like, oh my gosh, you know, uh, please join, you know, don't let that be the reason not to, because you bring another set of complementary skills that is really important to, to, uh, you know, community organization like that. Do, do you, are, one of the last questions, do you believe a potential board member ought to have some involvement with the organization beforehand, whether it's volunteer or sit on a committee, you know, something to, to assess the, the, the organization? I think it's very helpful um, because, and maybe some of us have had those experiences at different times in our lives where it, it, it just turns out that, that someone is not necessarily the best fit. And a lot of that is because they haven't had any experience with really who you are as an organization and how you work. And you haven't had any experience with them. You know, I, I think a lot when somebody said, well, if we're recruiting people, you know, what kind of questions are we asking? And, and you know, that list is a, a whole lot shorter. But I also think that, you know, I tell them, you really need to be observing people when you're talking to them, right? You know, are they asking you questions? When you ask them a question, do they answer the question? Okay. Um, are they thinking strategically? Are they thinking creatively? Do they try to understand not only what's best for them, but what's best for the organization? 
do they discuss their own values and how they may or may not align with the values of the organization? Very good. I love your due diligence questions. You've just got, uh, this has been a wealth of information. Cheryl, is there anything in, in closing, anything you haven't touched on that you would like to, when it, when we're speaking about recruiting board, identifying and recruiting board members and, or on the opposite side of that coin, I want to join a board of directors. Well, I'm, I'm all, always talking about reflection. So one of the things, you know, after, after you ask all these questions, you get all these questions answered. I think this is another place for the person to be reflective, right? Do I want to advocate for this organization? Is this the type of volunteering I will find mo uh, most fulfilling? You know, not everybody wants to be a board member. You know, I may be much happier working with the animals literally in the shelter, and I may be a lot, that may be more fulfilling to me than serving on a board. How much time do I have? Is there something that's going to interfere for me over the next one to three years, which is sort of an, a normal board term? Am I better off serving on a committee first? Is that, am I going to feel better about accepting this if I've got some sense? Does this nonprofit seem to be anchored within its mission and its purpose? And when they answered my question about how they define success, did that make sense to me? Right? Um, on the other side of this, I, it, it, one of the things, I, I thought this was interesting. I listened to uh, your podcast with uh, Janet Ginling, who's, who also spent some time here in my hometown. And uh, she was very passionate about how she believes it's really important that people read the bylaws and they understand how an organization works. If I'm recruiting somebody, I'm really interested if somebody asks me at some point, may I have a copy of the bylaws? Because this really, it, it, you know, it's interesting. It's interesting when when um, board members don't first refer to the bylaws when they're faced with some challenging question. Now, I do want to say that nobody, nobody, none of us is expected to memorize board bylaws, but everybody is expected to remember that we have them. Remember versus memorize. I think those are really different things. And then I have these people ask me about financial and legal information. By the way, did anybody ask if we have DNO insurance? Right, directors and officers mm, insurance. Yes. I mean, this is a really important question. So I, I think you know these are these are sort of two halves of the coin to a certain extent. Where some of we are asking the questions of each other, mm -hmm. and that's another place to pay attention. You know, where is it where we do ask the questions of each other because maybe that shows that we're already on common ground. Yeah, and, and so my takeaways from just listening to you speak, and, and these are these are golden, is go in with intentionality. You know, this isn't a haphazard, oh, I, I want to join a board. No, be very intentional about it because it is a commitment. And then take the time to pause and reflect and really think through what you heard and what you've assessed. You know, sometimes, and I remember in my younger years, you get excited. People say, hey, would you like to join a board? And, you know, you're flattered and you're honored and Yes, let's go in full bore. And oftentimes, if it's not there, and just a little bit of due diligence, a little bit of reflection, and that would have been exposed and certainly save a lot of time and, and pain down the road. And but who are I, our trusted advisors, yeah, right? Very good. You know, do we have a spouse, partner, best friend? Uh, you know, I don't know who it is. We all have that circle. You mentioned it earlier, Michael. We all have that circle. But who are our most trusted advisors? Do we want to go to them and say, hey, I've just been asked to join this board? You know, do you think I'd be any good at this? Because these are the people that are going to tell us the truth, right? Indeed. We, we hope they will. And yeah. that's what we do for them. Yeah. Yeah. 
Cheryl, this has been wonderful. How can people find out more about you? What's your? I know you've got a website. What's your web address if people want to reach out to you or want to learn a little bit more about you? Oh, it's uh, www.taylorleadership.org. Wonderful. Cheryl Taylor, 20-year CEO and worked with, there's probably hundreds of nonprofits you worked with because I, I know the work you did as CEO of that foundation. So thank you for sharing with us today your experience and your wisdom about being future nonprofit board member, but also from a board perspective and how you identify and recruit somebody. Really appreciate it, Cheryl. Thank you, Michael. This was a great opportunity. You're doing a wonderful job, and I look forward to listening to all of your podcasts in 2023. Uh, thank you very much. Well, we just had a very meaningful and informative discussion with Cheryl Taylor. And now this is recapping with Reed. Curious about Reed's observations and what he heard when we're talking about board service. So Reed, share with us what you observed. Yeah, well, that was an amazing conversation. And one of my favorite things that she presented was some of the best run boards have a spreadsheet where they keep track of all their board member engagement to help hold people accountable. But then they also share that with the the entire board. So everybody's aware of how involved every board member is. Yeah, I think that kind of transparency is helpful. I, I've done that as, as board chair a few times. It's a pain in the butt to keep it up. But I tell you, it does prove useful and it gives you when people, you know, particularly when and people are absent at meetings quite a bit, you, oftentimes you'll have a board member that just doesn't show up for meetings and it just shows you point blank here. Look, we, we really need your engagement type thing, but it just does help keep track of things. And hey, sometimes just the competitive nature of board members, it helps them to stay a little more engaged and accountable. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I think properly done and done transparently, like she was suggesting, it, it could work very well. Mm -hmm. And it's not to shame people right it's to correct help create a better board yeah you never want to shame a board member because it's volunteer right most mm -hmm. most people are volunteers it should be an aspirational and it should be a joyful type of role so no we, we never want to shame board members we just want to make sure they're allowed to to engage and participate in the furtherance of the mission whatever that role may be mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah what's and your second? second so my second point would be that successful boards have a nomination and vetting process for potential board members and they likely will have a committee dedicated to that nomination process. Yeah, sometimes that's under governance com committee or a nominating committee, what, whatever it's called, but it's a very distinct. And I would encourage any board, if you're going to go down that route or if you have those committees, just lay out the process, fully define the purpose and the steps that you'll take. There's nothing worse than going, okay, now who's going to take this guy to lunch that we want to and we want to learn a little bit more about? No, have a very defined process and stick to the process it will serve you well over the long term. Yeah. Read number three. When it comes to finding future board members and recruiting future board members from the board's perspective, you don't you might not have to look very far. There's volunteers, there's people on committees, there's donors that have been involved in the organization, and these individuals have already demonstrated a commitment to your mission. So you might not have to look very far to find future board members. That's really true. And that was a timely suggestion she gave because you, you and I received a, I received an email from uh, somebody I know who's ascending to the board chair position. And she says, I need to find board members. What what do I do? So Neil said, I'm going to send this podcast to her. But it's really that whole premise of that book, Acres of Diamonds. You don't have to look far and wide for these folks. It might be right in your own backyard. So that was a really good observation, Reed. So there's recapping the three, three points that he 
observed, if you will, from, from Cheryl. And I can't thank Cheryl enough for her sharing her wisdom and her approach to what makes an effective board member or how you should identify a board member and then how one might identify a board to serve on. So this is Michael Corley. I appreciate people listening to the I-501CU, the podcast for nonprofit board members. We will see you or 501CU next week.